Well, let's get ready to pray. Open your Bibles, if you brought them, to the 29th chapter of Genesis. The outline is pretty uh, sparse, not a lot of detail, but you can fill in the detail as we go along. And we are in the section, chapter 29, uh, the deceiver is deceived. It's talking about Jacob, and we will see how that happens uh, as we go today. So we're going to start after I pray with uh, verse 15 of chapter 29. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy that is ours of uh, coming together here on Wednesdays for a delicious meal, for sweet fellowship around the tables, and then uh, a few minutes to study your precious word. Thank you for all that we've learned to date in Genesis. I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts as we progress through this uh, first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, and I pray that you would speak to us today from chapters 29 and 30, and we want you to know that we love you, we adore you, and we worship you here in, in our gathering, and I thank you for all who've come. pray your blessing upon each one in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, let's go to... Verse 15 of chapter 29, and I'm going to read all the way through 30, and then we'll talk about it, okay? Now, it says just before verse 15, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month. So Jacob was with Laban for a whole month, and then verse 15 says, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, he really, uh, that's a very kind way of saying, uh, get with it. Um, you're not going to stay, hang around here and eat my food for nothing. So I'm going to put you to work. So what do you, how much do you want? And so Jacob gives an answer that I think Laban knew was coming. Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. <laughs> That's nice to hear. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Now here, I love, I love this part. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now that is sweet. That is sweet. <laughs> then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So, um, you can make blush today. I mean, this is going to be a pretty out there chapters 29, 30. So just hang in there. Okay. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, now here's where we got the title, the deceiver is deceived. When evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. Now Zilpah will play a significant role shortly. 
When morning came, there was Leah, exclamation point. <laughs> All right. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Is, is the irony of that lost on anybody? <laughs> Jacob the deceiver, the heel grabber. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilah, Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. All right. Let's stop there. So this, uh, these verses I've entitled Leah, Rachel, and Laban. That's not very clever, but that's Leah, Rachel, and Laban. The normal time in the society of that day for a young man to earn the right to marry um, someone's daughter would have been three to four years. So some have said Laban extorted Jacob, getting seven years instead of three to four. But as you look at the scripture, uh, Jacob has no issue with that. He doesn't complain. He himself, in fact, offers the number seven as scripture tells us, and he says, I, I will work for your daughter. And so he does for seven years. He serves gladly, and I love the, the way it's worded. He expresses his intense love for Rachel. So the seven years seems as a very short period of time. But when the time is up, uh, significantly to notice Laban doesn't say, okay, the seven years are up. Jacob has to remind him. Now, Laban knew. He hadn't forgotten. But uh, Jacob brings it up. My, the seven years are up. And so it's time for you to let me marry Rachel. Now, here's where Laban becomes the deceiver. Now, how did this, how could this possibly happen? Well, here's the only way you can picture this is as part of the ceremony of the evening, Laban would have made sure that Leah's face was covered. So it's dark, it's inside a tent, um, her face is covered. I, I doubt that Leah said a whole lot, so she wouldn't give away the voice. And perhaps Jacob may have had some wine. I would say that's probably a strong possibility, maybe a little more than he should have had. And so in the darkness, in his condition, and in his passion, he does not recognize that this is Leah instead of Rachel. But daylight comes and Jacob sees what has happened and he's angry. It's ironic, very ironic. But the result of all of this is Laban says, all right, I'll give you Rachel, but you've got to work for me seven more years. 14 years for the one he loves. With, Le with Leah and Rachel come their servants, Zilpah and Bilhah, 
Uh, that'll become significant as we move along. They'll, they'll be important. So, as we get ready to move on, just to remind you of what you already know, we will read in the next chapter about the, the birth of 12 sons and one daughter to Jacob. And they'll be by several different women. So we're going to, to read about that as we finish up this chapter and go to chapter 30. So are you ready? The children of Jacob, chapter 29, verse 31 through chapter 30, verse 24. Now I'm going to read all that, but not at once. In creation, God gave Adam one wife. I remind you of what is written earlier in Genesis in the second chapter in the 24th verse. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. It does not say united to his wives and they all become one flesh. It says united to his wife and they become one flesh, husband and wife. So God's design and intention from the beginning is monogamy. The polygamous marriages in Genesis cast a dark shadow. Later Hebrew kings will be scandalously polygamous, but their marriages were also catastrophic. And we, if you read through the Old Testament, you can't miss it. It's at every turn. There it is. The ideal for Hebrew marriage was always monogamy. So in the Old Testament, polygamy was understood to be a violation of the covenantal faithfulness that God demanded of his bride, Israel. There is a dramatic portrayal of that in one of the minor prophets in a little book called, say it louder, Hosea, a beautiful portrayal of the one man, one woman devotion of a man to his wife. Uh, read Hosea. It is delightful. The final word concerning marriage was spoken by Jesus. Monogamous love and fidelity as seen in God's love for his bride the church and we see it talked about and illustrated over and over again and Jesus addressed it several times now I, I say all that because I don't want you to get the idea that God thought this was peachy keen that Jacob was going to be married to Leah and uh, Rachel not only that but the involvement of the two slave girls also, yet God has a purpose and a plan and he's going to somehow work through all of this to accomplish his desire for his people, for Jacob, the multiplying of his family to become like the stars in the sky and the sand and the sea, seashore, and for the blessing of the world through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Jacob's in a quandary in regard to marriage. The deceiver has been deceived. He loved Rachel, 
but he was married to Leah by deceit. Then he worked longer for Rachel. So he's married to two women. Um, now you can say, well, he couldn't help it. Uh, yeah, I understand that. But then how do you explain what happens with the two maids, the two slaves? So, um, yes, Jacob was deceived, and I'm sympathetic to that to some small degree. Uh, not a large degree, because I'm thinking... I just don't get that in the tent. Yes, I know it was dark. Yes, I know Leah was trying to play the game, and I know her face was covered. I understand all that, but I'm not overly sympathetic to the situation. But it is what it is as we read the text. And so Jacob married the two women. One he loved passionately, that's Rachel, and the other he did not love at all or at least as much as he loved Rachel, and that's, that's Leah. Now you have one text that says he didn't love her, and another text that says he didn't love her as much as Rachel, and I'm thinking that's the way we interpret the whole, that there was love in his heart for, for Leah, but it did not match the love that he had for Rachel. Now Leah and Rachel have been put in a position now where they're adversaries. Two sisters are adversaries in their relationship. It's messy. No way around it. So multiple wives, multiple births, sister hatred, all acted out over a period of a number of years. Yet we see in the same text the genesis of the 12 tribes of Israel from one father and four mothers. Jacob did not know in advance that he would father 12 sons. All he knew was what God had promised and affirmed at Bethel a few pages back in chapter 28, verse 14, when God had said, your descendants to Jacob, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So we're going to have three sets of four sons that we're going to read about their birth in a minute. Four sons to Leah, four to the maids or the slave girls, Bilhah and Zilpah, then four more from the two sisters, two from Leah, two more from Leah, and two from Rachel. So that's how we come up with the 12 tribes of Israel. So we're going to start with the four children, first of all, born to Leah. So look at chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. That just kind of tears you at your heart to hear her say that. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too, and she named him Simeon. Do these boys' names ringing bells? Yeah. The twelve tribes of Israel. Again she conceived, verse 34, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons. 
So he named him Levi. Now his language changes here. We'll point out how it, excuse me, her language changes here. We'll point out how that happens in a minute. Then verse 35, and we'll stop for, for a few moments. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now that's not a permanent condition, but it is a temporary condition. No more kids for a little while for Leah. Now, Leah is unloved, at least in comparison to Rachel. I believe Jacob loved her, but just not like he loved Rachel. Now, here's the problem. I want us to hear this well. We are created by God to love one woman, not two, three, four, or five. One, at least at a time. I realize sometimes as a widow, widower, you, you get remarried. I understand that. But just as, as far as initial marriage is concerned, one men, we are created to love one woman. And women, you're created to love one man, not multiples. Now, isn't that interesting? Because we're also created by God with the capability to love however many children we have and love them equally. You have two or ten. You have the capability of loving all your children equally. Grandchildren are the same way. I want to throw that into this audience. Whether you have two or twenty, you're created with the ability, the capability of loving all those grandkids equally. You can also love your parents equally. You're created with that capability of loving both your mother and your father equally. And your four grandparents equally. You're created with that capacity to love them the same. And even throw your brothers and sisters in there. You're created to the, with the ability to love. If you have two siblings or more, you're created with the ability to love them Equally. Now, I didn't say you do love them equally. I just said you were created with the ability to love them equally. And, and obviously, unless there's something amiss, we should love them the same. But when it comes to married love, it's not multiples, it's one. Men, one woman. Women, one man. And it's not men, one man, or women, one woman. It's one man if you're a woman and one woman if you're a man. Now, the Lord is active here. He opens Leah's womb. The scripture makes it clear. God's involved. He opens her womb. And despite the sin of polygamy, God begins to work his own purpose. God bypasses Rachel for now in favor of Leah. At least in favor, meaning as far as having children is concerned. Rachel's devastated. And she rightfully expected to be the matriarch to fulfill God's promise made at Bethel. In the Mesopotamian context where Jacob now lives, the ancestral home of Abraham, where he now lives, barrenness in regard to children, barrenness was not pitied. It was disdain. So that a woman who was unable to bear children 
would have been disdained and ridiculed. Now that's horrific. That's horrific in our eyes, but that was life in that day. So Rachel has this sense of God's forgotten me and I feel like Jacob looks at me different and I feel like the people around me are disdaining and they just have no regard for me. And they don't, they didn't know then what we, you know, we know now for, for generations when a woman was not able to, to, to get pregnant, the assumption was it's her fault. Well, we now know that is not necessarily the case. And when I say fault, I mean, is it something about the woman's body that keeps her from being able to conceive? Or is it something about the man? We now know it can be one or the other. But then they assumed there was an issue with the woman. So Leah has four sons, one right after another. And she is hoping that Jacob will come to love her more than Rachel. Rachel feels diminished. And so you really have two desperate women here. That's basically what you have, two desperate women. One is desperate for love, and the other is desperate for children. And so I would say, oh, the joys of polygamy. Now, Leah's hopes are enshrined in the names chosen for the boys. These names are significant. I know you know that. The first is Reuben, which literally means in Hebrew, look, a son. So, Reuben. Can you say that word? Reuben. You now know Hebrew. Okay. Reuben. <laughs> look, a son. Verse 32, she says, now Jacob will love me. And you just kind of tears at your heart to hear Leah say that. She believes this is God's doing, and it is. And she believes it's going to cause Jacob to love her more than, 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 than Rachel. Boy number two is born. His name is Simeon. That means the Lord has heard. Say it with me. Simeon. The Lord has heard. Will Simeon now melt Jacob's heart? The Lord has heard. Now will Jacob hear? That's Leah's question. Boy number three is born. Named Levi. That word means attachment. Can you say the word Levi? Levi, Levi means attachment. You didn't know you were going to leave this place as a Hebrew scholar, did you? Levi means attachment. Notice the change of words on the part of Leah. She says, now my husband will be attached to me. She is now no longer wishing for love. She's probably given up on that. But she's just hoping for attachment. He'll spend more time with me than Rachel because of the boys. And her cries are growing more forlorn in regard to being loved. Then boy number four is born and his name is Judah, which means praise. I like that name. Can you say the word Judah? Judah. 
needs praise. Notice again a change of wording. This time, I will praise the Lord. There's no more plea for love from Jacob. She appears to have given up on that. And she realizes she may never be loved by Jacob. But God has given her four sons. And she is thankful. She now sees her future in these four boys. Not necessarily in Jacob, but in these four boys, she sees her future. Now, if Leah could only have known the future. I guess we could all say, oh, if we only knew the future. But if Leah could only have known the future, her heart would have leaped with joy. Why? Her last two boys, Levi and Judah, would father, first of all, on the part of Levi, the priestly tribe of Israel. And her son Judah would father the kingly tribes of Israel. Leah's blood would flow in the veins of Moses, Aaron, David, and ultimately Jesus Christ the Messiah. If she could have only known that, it would have probably changed her life completely. Unloved by her husband, but loved by God, who had a plan for her offspring. Think about that. Next time you read the story, you might feel a little differently about Leah when you realize what God did. Now, we're going to get into verses 1 through 13 of chapter 30 as far as we can before our time runs out. So, we're now going to see four boys born um, by, by the slave wives, by the two servants or the two slaves of Leah and Rachel. So let's read verses 1 through 13. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Isn't that interesting? Who does she blame the lack of children on? She blames it on Jacob. The society would tend to look at Rachel and say the problem's with you. Rachel says the problem's not with me. The problem's with you. But in reality, God's in control. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. She owns Bilhah. So any children born to Bilhah will be Rachel's. And we all say that's not right. And no, it isn't right. But that was life then. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her. I don't see any resistance here. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him 
Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. We'll stop there. Rachel became more desperate with every Leah pregnancy. Envy grips her soul. Thoughts of God are far from her heart. She blames Jacob. That makes him angry. God is responsible, he said, and that's true. And Rachel knew in her heart that it was true. So Rachel takes matters into her own hands, gives her slave girl Bilhah to Jacob, and her thought is, perhaps through Bilhah I can catch up with Leah. And she has some immediate success. Bilhah becomes pregnant twice. First son, Dan, which means judged. Can you say Dan? Dan. Dan. Or vindicated, judged or vindicated. God is setting things right, thinks Rachel. I'm being vindicated. Next, Naphtali, which means wrestlings in, in verse 8. Rachel believes her tenacity is now bringing her reward. My tenacity in wrestling with this issue is being rewarded by God. I have now Naphtali. Well, Leah strikes back. She gives her slave Zilpah to Jacob, and Zilpah has two sons. And the first she names Gad, which means good fortune. Can you say Gad? Oh, I need to not let you off the hook. Can you say Naphtali? Yeah, good. Okay. Uh, or I guess in Texas or Georgia where I grew up, we'd say Naphtali. But it's Naphtali. Okay. Second child she names Asher, which means happy. And Leah is happy. And if there were a scoreboard outside the tent, it would say Leah 6, Rachel 2. Uh, I'm not really trying to make light of it, but that's, that's, that's the way it was between the two sisters. Now, next time, we're going to start with verse 14, and there are going to be four more born divided between Leah and Rachel. So Rachel herself now, not her slave, but Rachel herself is going to bear uh, one child that we'll read about in this chapter and then later on in Genesis, one more. Now, without looking, what was, who was her first child that Rachel bore? Joseph, who was the second? Benjamin, yeah, okay. Joseph and Benjamin. And uh, Leah will have two more also. We'll, we'll get there next time. So, um, chapter 30, verse 14. Now, let me, let me say, I will not be here next week. Uh, my sister is having surgery in Georgia, and I'm her only living relative, so I need to be there. So I'll be in Georgia. Uh, Dr. Kemp is going to be teaching next week, so you know you're going to be blessed. So be sure to be here. The next Wednesday is the day before Thanksgiving, so we're not going to meet that day. So we'll get back together the week after that. So as far as I'm concerned, it'll be two, two weeks, three weeks from today. But Dr. Kemp next week, so don't miss it. You'll be richly blessed. Okay? God bless you. Let's bow for prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for...
loving and caring for us. Father, we're amazed at what we read in the scripture and, and some of it really discomforts us. And yet, through it all, we see your hand, your movement, for your honor, for your glory, the accomplishment of your purpose, and the fulfillment of your promise made long ago to Abraham and then to Isaac and to Jacob. So, Father, bless us as we go from this place. Help us to remember that you always keep your word, all of it. And may we be faithful servants of yours in all things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you.